So here we are, uh, second Dharma talk, second event, you know, some things take on a particular quality when there's not a lot of stimulation around. (laughs) So one of the things that um, I'd like to do based on our opening and in our introductions and some of the things we said talking about lineage and ancestors and uh, family, we'd just like to point out this is the, uh, I believe it's the 16th year of the POC retreat at IMS. So I'd just like to call in um, Gina Sharp and Larry Yang, who are the ancestors whose shoulders I'm standing on. Uh, particularly in relationship to this particular retreat and this sangha. So that was a missing. I just wanted to bring that forward. So I'm going to give some reflections and some information and some commentary, I guess, uh, on the Four Noble Truths. And compassion. And you know, I never really thought of myself as a pragmatist. But when I was putting this uh, talk together, it occurred to me that what I really love is the foundational stuff. All the fluff and flowers, that's great and really adds richness and aliveness uh, to the practice and the Dhamma, but like the basics is what holds you when you're on the journey. And the Four Noble Truths are the uh, first set of teachings that arose that uh, hmm, began the whole wisdom, the whole integration of the Dhamma. And so I said, you know, If this is what the Buddha came up with immediately after getting enlightened, I want that. Right? And like my, so one of the other things I do in life is I'm a therapist. And uh, my clients at home, when I'm leaving to go on retreat and come back, um, the uh, consistent comment I get is, can I see you first when you get back? (laughs) Because when you come back from that place, whatever it is you're doing... (laughs) I want some of that. <laughs> okay, so from the Samyutta Nikaya. The Blessed One was once living at Kasambi in a wood of some sapa trees. He picked up a few leaves in his hand and asked the bhikkhus, How do you conceive this, bhikkhus? Which is more, the few leaves that I have picked up in my hand or those in the wood. The leaves the Blessed One has picked up in his hand are few, Lord. Those in the woods are far more. So too, bhikkhus, followers, monastics, so too, bhikkhus, the things that I have known by direct knowledge are many. The things I have told you are only a few. Why have I not told them to you? Because they bring no benefit, no advancement in the holy life, and because they do not lead to dispassion, to fading, to seizing, to stilling, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. That is why I have not told them to you. And what have I told you? This is suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the sensation of suffering. Here is the path. That is what I have told you. Why have I told it? Because it brings benefit and advancement in the holy life and because it leads to dispassion, to fading, to seizing, to stilling, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. 
So, bhikkhus, let your task be this. This is suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. It is said that the Buddha said, faith is the beginning of all things. No matter what we encounter in life, it is faith that enables us to try again, to trust again, to love again. And though it may seem like it was many hours ago, maybe even many days ago, if you remember when Kamala opened us up three nights ago or two nights ago, uh, there was a context setting holding the work that we would do for these Uh, seven days in relationship to remembering, cultivating faith. Even in times of immense suffering, it is faith that enables us to relate to the present moment in such a way that we can go on. We can move forward instead of becoming lost in resignation or despair. Faith links our present day experience whether wonderful or terrible, to the underlying pulse of life itself. We all have the absolute right to reach out without holding back toward what we care about more than anything. Whether we describe the recipient as God or a profound sense of indestructible love or the dream of a kinder world to come. It is the act of offering our heart in faith that something in us transforms and what may have been merely a remote abstraction flames into life. Sharon Salzberg. Is that better? Whoever said that? Yes. Yeah? Okay, thank you. I think you turned it down too. Great, thanks. The unhappiness of humanity can be overcome through spiritual means. This teaching of the Four Noble Truths is one of the central teachings of this way that the Buddha taught. These teachings on the Four Noble Truths are considered the first sermon the Buddha gave after his enlightenment, and this Theravada school of Buddhism that we're engaged with Vipassana is part of the lineage of Theravada, holds this sutta as the quintessence of the teaching of the Buddha. It is held that this one sutta contains all that is necessary for understanding Dhamma, and for enlightenment. This first teaching of the Buddha upon his awakening is often called the turning of the wheel. It is the teaching he gave to his former ascetic spiritual friends. Those friends became his first followers. A big part of what makes this teaching so monumental and important is because of the comprehensive and ultimate scope. Practicing and moving beyond words into the lived experience of each moment, we can realize how this core teaching is the beginning of the various doorways of teachings we engage with, ultimately being propelled along the path to freedom. Each teaching is a doorway into another teaching, The Four Noble Truths lead to the teaching of the Brahma-Viharas, which lead to the teaching of the three characteristics of dukkha, impermanence, and non-identification. We can look to see with our attention and awareness as it manifests the truth of this experience. In the Dharma, there is no separation Like a 3D hologram, one can enter at any point and the truth will be illuminated and known by the heart-mind 
through wisdom. So I invite you, as one of my teachers, Larry Yang, has said, to explore and witness the unfolding of these bold truths, of these revealing truths, of these beautiful truths, and these inspiring truths. These are the Four Noble Truths. Understanding that in life there is suffering. There are moments of dukkha. Dukkha is the Pali word for suffering. Although the translation is not exactly quite right. Sometimes these moments are just fleeting suffering. And sometimes there are long periods of what seems intractable, permanent suffering. There are times of deep, intense suffering and moments of subtle, just barely detectable suffering, but suffering nevertheless. Understanding, accepting, and knowing this and the meaning of these noble truths is the gateway to wisdom and to freedom. Understanding that the cause of the suffering is clinging to desired objects and states of being and aversion or pushing away of objects, experience, or states, and delusion as to how things are. Joseph Goldstein, who you may have seen walking around these parts. <laughs> he says that if you're struggling with something and suffering about it, most likely there is something in the experience or the condition that you are not accepting. Understanding there is an end of suffering that we can release suffering by letting go of the clinging or putting down the desires. Understanding that there is an eightfold path to freedom from suffering that we can follow, like guides, and integrate into a worldview, thereby allowing us to live from that accordingly. These four ennobling truths, and in using the word ennobling, I'm uh, actually putting some energy on noble in relationship to investing energetically with dignity, with honor, and inspiration. These four ennobling truths are the foundations of Buddhist wisdom. When integrated, and metabolized into our view and understanding, there becomes the possibility of clarifying the mind-heart so that it no longer inclines towards suffering. And that's a distinction. You know, I I said that in one of the groups today that, excuse me, um, suffering is not inevitable. Pain is because we have a nervous system. So whether it be physical pain, emotional pain, or mental pain, that's part of the price we pay for being embodied. But suffering is optional. And clearly somewhere within the uh, uh, hallways of your mind heart, there's a knowing of that, that you would choose to spend seven days of your life riding on the Ferris wheel of ups and downs and all arounds in an effort to integrate and find a way to make uh, groundedness and clarity and love a daily moment-by-moment part of your existence. Suffering or dukkha is the common bond of experience that all beings share, all beings since the beginning of time. 
all beings, no matter what social or economic standing, no matter what race, ethnicity, or cultural or religious background, those with non-normative sexual orientations or gender expressions, those with privilege and those most disenfranchised and desperate. This understanding is the way into waking up and stirring our capacity for bringing compassion forward, both for ourselves and others. The wars, enslavement, the decimation and genocide of peoples, the degradation of our planet and disrespect, terrorism and harm done to our animal relatives are all the direct manifestation of greed, aversion and delusion that can only exist because of the denial of the interconnectedness of all things. If we humans could see clearly this fact, that we all share this common bond of suffering, it would leave us incapable of doing these things and inflicting harm and causing more suffering. It is helpful to have the understanding that the Buddha speaks of three types of suffering. Dukkha, the suffering caused by physical and mental pain, which arises from sickness, aging, and death. The suffering caused by constant change, or anicca, life's constantly changing nature, impermanence. I guess you can tell that Joseph is one of my teachers because here's another one of his quotes. He shared this insight about not drawing conclusions and making assumptions because that puts you on shaky ground given the fact that impermanence is a consistent and ongoing state and truth. Hmm. Oftentimes this understanding of anatta or not-self, which is the third form of suffering or the third place of suffering, is one of the more difficult and subtle ways of understanding because it actually gets into the very uh, essence of who we are, the very essence of this gift of embodiment, this very essence of waking up. You know, and I think that that's really... um, a very energized pathway for those of us that walk in these bodies which are so often, I mean, we do it ourselves, to ourselves, in response to the external, but we walk in these bodies, we have these ways of expressing ourselves, we have these ways of orienting outside of the normative culture, which then reinforces identification which reinforces becoming as a survival mechanism. So there's this continual energetic interplay. And that's why this practice and these understandings can go such a long way in supporting us to live our lives uh, by reducing, transforming, resolving, deconstructing suffering. So for each of these truths, there are three aspects, and therefore there are 12 insights that arise out of this understanding. The first noble truth. Asking yourself, what is the noble truth of suffering? Like you all, you know, those of you who've heard this before, even those of us who have been at this for 15, 20, 30 years, that one understanding that one knowing, that one getting it at the cellular level could be the linchpin or the turnkey for everything else to unfold with or unfold from. So we hear it intellectually, but really 
when you ask yourself, you know, what is suffering? And this first noble truth is that there is suffering. Right? Until we cultivate, until we understand, until we metabolize, until we integrate, until we engage this practice and this understanding that supports us in being awake. Right? So there's the awake of Nibbana, and that's great. You know? Be good to get there. You know? Nice to experience life through that way. But that moment, day to day freedom. Right? Of not being enslaved by our minds. You know, not by being caged by some interaction we have that thwarts or represses or suppresses our self-expression that clouds the loveliness of who we are. That's the freedom that's available by truly getting this understanding that suffering happens. And it's almost like until we really get that, we can't even really begin the true work of the other understandings and aspects of this practice. So the three ways of looking, or the three ways of understanding um, these truths, there is this truth of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. This is from the Samyutta Nikaya. This noble truth must be penetrated by fully understanding suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. This noble truth has been penetrated by fully understanding suffering. Such was the vision, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. The first noble truth is not saying that everything is suffering. You know, um, those of us that walk this way, people think we're like these serious, intense, non-joyful people. Where the actuality is, I find for myself that this practice and this way of understanding the world uh, creates the seeds for a whole lot of joy. Because like, it's not personal. This is how it is. Let me spend some time engaged in understanding what my relationship and connection to this, all of this is. Such that I can then bring wisdom and understanding to the creative aspects of life so that I'm not battered and pushed around by the winds of change so that I am empowered the noble truth is a truth to reflect upon western minds in particular find it challenging to understand this because it is interpreted as a metaphysical truth but that's not really the case Reflecting on the first noble truth, there is suffering, is the first insight. The recognition and accepting that there is suffering actually then empowers you to notice and investigate suffering in your own life. You didn't know it, but that's partly why you're here. Like you're partly here to investigate (coughs) suffering in your life. You know, because when you walk through that door, your life doesn't remain out there. You know, so the expectations and the anticipations of what this retreat would be about, what would happen for you or where you'd be, that's a setup. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This seemingly simple recognition provides a core domain of suffering in which we design whole lives around avoiding. Right? Avoiding this recognition that there's suffering. (coughs) Many of you took a big step and created a huge opportunity for exploration by turning in your technology. 
And even for those of you who chose not to turn it in for various reasons, there are oftentimes very good reasons to keep your technology. The in-your-faceness of this opportunity can apply to you too. Going for that run when there's trouble here. Going for that cup of tea instead of that walk. Because the last time I was walking, I felt that something that was coming, and I'm just really not ready for that. (laughs) You know, whatever it is. Ignorance of this insight is what causes us to claim the suffering. (coughs) Then, proclaiming, I don't want to suffer making it personal, then engaging in all kinds of activities and actions to avoid the recognition of this truth. I meditate. I go on retreats to get out of suffering. I get more education. I make more money. I renounce money and capitalism. I lose weight. I eat healthy. I fast. But I'm still suffering, and I don't want to suffer. What can I do to get rid of the suffering? How can I get out of it? The activation of the clinging and aversion and delusion gets set once again into motion. The first role of truth is not I am suffering and I want to end it. The insight is there is suffering. This is a basic insight. To look at how things are with a clear perception and acceptance is to be empowered and sets the stage for being completely honest with ourselves about the suffering we are experiencing. Without this wise view, it is easy to ignore, suppress, or flee from the knowledge of what is so and to put the blame on circumstances for the presence of unsatisfactoriness and pain in our lives. When we break the noble truths down and look at the three insights accompanying each statement of a truth, it assists us in clearing obstruction to wise view so that we can engage with our practice and find balance and stability for a foundationally well life. The three aspects of each of the noble truths has a pattern. There is a statement then the prescription, and then the results of having practiced. We can also understand this through the use of the Pali words pariyati, patipati, and pativeda. Pariyati is the theory or the statement. There is suffering. Patipati is the practice, actually practicing with it. Empativeda is the result of the practice. Ajahn Sumedho speaks of this as the reflective pattern where we are actually developing our minds in a reflective way. He says, a Buddha mind is reflective mind that knows things as they are and that we use these four noble truths as the development of that knowing and understanding. I think I'll read this poem now. Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter One. I walk down the street There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. 
There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. (laughs) The result of practice. (laughs) Hmm. The three aspects of the first noble truth. There is suffering. The second aspect being suffering should be understood. And the third aspect, suffering has been understood are helpful guideposts to fully knowing this to be true in your bones. To look at the pain and anguish we may feel, not from the perspective of its mind, but as a reflection, there is suffering. This is suffering. The insight being to look at the suffering and see it as dukkha and not as a personal misery and not reacting to it in a habitual way. Life is stressful and uneasy for all people everywhere. If we are embodied, there's no way out. No one is exempt. The full acceptance of our commonality and connection through this truth is the wellspring from which to move towards clear seeing, kindness, and compassion, towards forgiveness and generosity of heart. There can be a great deal of resistance at accepting this truth as it would then entail having to become responsible to our lives. Imagine that. And that takes courage and commitment. Someone, I don't know if it was in group today, you know, sometimes the hours and the days start to fuse, but someone that I heard recently talked about how difficult and hard life and this path is. I didn't say it then, but I say it now. Damn right. (laughs) Really? You know, no one, who said it was supposed to be easy? Where did we make that lie up? You know, where did it become um, common expectation that part of the goal of living is to be in Joy, ease, happiness all the time. You know, even the way we come here, right? Through the physical body. That's like, that's a deep journey. That's at the front end. And we go out the same way. I don't know if people have ever kind of been with somebody who was dying. But that's not easy either, right? And so where did we make this up? That in the in-between... It was supposed to be roses and whatever, apple pie, you know. Not to say that that's the only existence, but we'd spend so much time running away from the truth of the matter that we're out of balance. I think Kamala spoke about that this morning, or maybe it was Jaya in her talk last night. For many people, it is not so far-fetched to understand suffering in the big picture, like we can understand the big sufferings, as it is acceptable to suffer behind loss, physical challenges, mental challenges, financial devastation, and being aggrieved upon, at least for a time. The expectation of the culture, and oftentimes the community, however, of there being some point where we should get it together. Walking around with all this unmetabolized anger, grief, sadness, and denial, which is going to be coming up in peace. But that's what it is. When it comes up, there's nothing wrong. It's just all the stuff that's just been unmetabolized that you've been carrying in your bodies, in your hearts, and your minds. <laughs> (laughs) 
However, when one is living okay, pretty good life, a tendency more often is to deny the more subtle aspects of suffering caused by the mind's wanting and needing and desiring to remove or get rid of anything that causes disturbance and difficult. The observable manifestation of attachment, craving, aversion, and delusion. And might I say, it's true of all beings for sure, but I think that there's a particular uh, wisdom that's available. Anyone sitting in this room at this moment, in this time, as we are the answer to the dream of our ancestors. They already did it. They already did it. So, you know, like the stage is set for us to have success. The stage is set because they already navigate whether, you know, and it doesn't matter, you know, whether you were enslaved, whether um, uh, you, you, you descend from immigrants, which we all do, except if you're an indigenous person of this land. You know, none of us were originally here. But all, all of that that our ancestors navigated, all of the choices that they made that allowed us to be sitting here today, ride that strength. Use that energy as you continue to engage with yourself and explore the corners and the dark places that there's been some fear around addressing. But then on the other side, also, welcome the joy. Welcome the ease. Welcome the peace. Cultivate that. Because one of the, one of the byproducts of these histories that we come from, oftentimes, is a denial or negating of the good. Right, and it's the balance of the two of those. Right, the loving heart, the compassion, the wisdom that set us straight. So much of our existence, of our identities, of our striving to become is generated from maintaining the illusion that we've got it together, that we're all right that we belong, that the constancy of stress, of suffering somehow diminishes us in the eyes of others and in our own eyes, thereby self-esteem is shot, self-confidence is out the window, and we make a home in the misperception that we do not belong. Thus, Making the ability to make choices and take actions from a place of calm and strength, of clarity, of goodness, becomes non-accessible. There is little room for being a full expression of being human in a society that is based on pleasure, immediate gratification, having it at all costs, overstimulation, ego deification, and which extols the merits of overconsumption and defines success as the ability to control outcomes. This is what our bodies, hearts, and minds are constantly rubbing up against. And we need to know that so we can detox, so we can purify, so we can Put it down and let it be. The second aspect of the first noble truth, suffering is to be known or understood. This is the pause I'm suggesting we take and what we're up to as a part of this retreat. To engage with the practice such that we see clearly this second insight that dukkha is something to be understood that the way to freedom is to understand the nature of this insight and not just to try and get rid of it. One of my teachers who Kamala mentioned last night, 
Sayadaw Utejaniya, places at the very core of his teaching this. Do not run from the experience of suffering, but consciously and intentionally turn towards the experience and embrace the opportunity. Choose to be mindful of the actual experience of pain, stress, emotional distress as it manifests in the body, in the mind, and the heart. This allows for us to come to know and understand the true nature of our suffering as a lived physical experience and to realize it is this awareness that can connect us to our own true humanity and to connection with all beings, including the earth. The third aspect of the first noble truth, suffering has been understood, is to know that you know. This knowing, if truly known, will call us to consciousness and intentionally shift and alter our perspective to include the reality of suffering thereby causing us to reshape our beliefs and we then develop the ability to live more wisely right now. The second noble truth. What is the noble truth of the origin of suffering? It is craving which renews being and is accompanied by relish and lust relishing this and that, in other words, craving for sensual desires, craving for being, craving for non-being. But whereon does this craving arise and flourish? Wherever there is what seems lovable and gratifying, thereon it arises and flourishes. This is the noble truth of the origin of suffering. And such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. This noble truth must be penetrated by abandoning the origins of suffering. This noble truth has been penetrated by abandoning the origin of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. So the second noble truth with its three aspects. There is a cause or origin of suffering, which is attachment to desire. That's pretty simple. Right? It's not complicated. Desire should be let go. Desire has been let go. Craving for, grasping for, or the attachment to sense pleasures. Craving for, or the attachment to existence. Craving for, or the attachment to non-existence. These are the dominant and most pervasive causes of suffering. Attachment, aversion, and delusion cause this suffering. There is the origin of suffering, which is the attachment to desire. And you know that word desire? Mm. So desire in and of itself, like there is an energetic around desire which helps us to continue forward movement in life. But so often the arising of desire is in response, or actually I should say, in reaction to something being wrong or wanting something more or somehow having that is going to make everything all right. So to bring clarity of mind to understand the arising of the desire and then being able to discern through skillful means, whether that is a desire to just put down and know from whence it arose, or is this a desire that maybe could be useful 
in creating a life well lived. But to get to that uh, uh, usefulness of discernment, spending our days here clearing the field, right? Removing the um, um, inclination to turn away from particular experiences or situations or conditions or clinging to those misperceived experiences, conditions, or situations which we think will make it all better. The third noble truth. What is the noble truth of the cessation or the ending of suffering? It is the remainder, less fading, and cessation of that same craving the rejecting, the relinquishing, leaving and renouncing of it. But whereon is this craving abandoned and made to seize? Wherever there is what seems lovable and gratifying, thereon it is abandoned and made to seize. This is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, and such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing and light that arose in me about things not heard before. There is an end of suffering. The cessation of dukkha should be realized. The cessation of suffering has been realized. The complete fading away and cessation of craving and attachment Cessation from suffering can be achieved by forsaking, forsaking, abandoning, liberating oneself, and detaching from craving, letting go, or putting down attachments. So, you know, in a way, there's like where this, um, we each have our unique, when there's clarity and groundedness, when there's clear seeing, when there's open heart, when there's wisdom and understanding, we have these beautiful songs that we're expressing ourselves, each of us, a song, you know. When everything is, is um, vibrating or manifesting from a place of clarity and goodness. But so often, so often with these songs, we're kind of like, well... Um, let me see. Um, maybe I need to go on this retreat so that things can get better. So first I want to show you this is the song. Hear how clear that is? And it just keeps reverberating because there's no blocks. There's no stops, right? But then we try to turn away from stuff I don't usually walk with my bag, but this is why I bought it, so I can show you all this. Oh, let me see. You know, I really don't want any more tofu. It always makes me gaseous. Oh, I wonder what's going on. You know, I really need to to contact um, that job that I interviewed before I came on retreat. Because it might be too late when I get off, you know, it's for me. You know, and I really don't like it that my partner caused all this stuff for me when I was trying to get out the house to go on this retreat. You know, I'm really looking to have more support in my life. <laughs> and oh yeah, we got to make sure we're entertained, you know, got to make sure we're looking for the stories. Right? Let's see what else. Oh, today I'm feeling so down. It's been a really hard day. Really difficult. Yesterday was such a joyful time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's only Thursday? (laughs) 
and this is what happens to our song. <laughs> so keep the visual. That'll, that'll, that'll stand by you as you do your work over these next days. <clears throat> We're emptying out, making space for a clear song. So one of the aspects of this practice and Dhamma is we are not required to come to understanding through blind belief, but that we find wisdom after our willingness to be receptive and considering. It is this mind state that is the way out of suffering. It is not the mind that has fixed views and prejudices and thinks it knows it all or just takes what others say as being the truth. It is the mind that is open and practiced through reflection on these four noble truths that can see within our own mind with clarity. It takes a willingness to actually look at our own reactions, to be able to see the attachments and to contemplate. A willingness to cultivate the art of response and not the unskillful ways of reacting. We must allow things to arise, since before you can let something go, you have to admit it into full consciousness. All of it, the despair, the anger, the grief, the disappointment, the hindrances, all of it. Although cessation is easy to understand intellectually, to realize it may be difficult, because this means at times being with or abiding with that, we, that which we think we cannot bear. The reality is, though, that the suffering and at the point at which we break, it is at those places where not seeing it becomes more devastating than allowing it to arise and be seen and contemplated and understood. In other words, as Ajahn Sumedho said, to allow this process of cessation to work, we must be willing to suffer. We need to remember that anything that arises ceases. We contemplate fear and desire so that we see through Mara, Mara being the forces of ignorance and delusion in the mind, and so that we are not deluded anymore. African peoples, Jewish peoples, immigrant families, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Paulie Martin, Lu Xiaobo, Gandhi, Chief Joseph, Harriet Tubman, Harry Wu, they're all saying, y'all got this. There is the capacity that you have to keep going. They're betting on us. From Rumi, don't turn away. Keep your eyes on the wounded places. That's where the light enters. The fourth and final noble truth, there is a path out of suffering. The way is the eightfold path. The path is established not on a technique, but on an understanding. The three aspects of insights for the fourth noble truth are, there is the eightfold path, the way out of suffering, this path should be developed, and this path has been developed.
So there are the wisdom aspects of the Eightfold Path, skillful understanding or wise view, looking at our experience in terms of cause and effect. Cause and effect is at the heart of the path. Every action we take is a cause to an effect. With the understanding of the first three truths, we come to this accepting that it is up to us to create the causes for a good life. Then there's skillful thinking or wise intention. We take responsibility for our impulses and inclinations, understanding this aspect of the path. We cultivate the virtues of generosity, loving friendliness or loving kindness. We set the intention to abandon mean-heartedness and indifference. And compassion, the intent to abandon cruelty and dismissiveness. A kindness, it could be as simple as not holding on to a negative impression that you have of someone or of yourself. Then there's the ethical conduct of which we've already engaged with. That was a good piece of what taking the precepts was about. The ethical conduct. The sila. That's one of the, for me, one of the main components of this practice that I stand on foundationally. Because when your ethics are correct, You don't keep creating mess. Right? Skillful or wise speech. Refraining from lying, exaggerating, knowingly creating a false impression. Avoid engaging in harsh speech, swearing, and insults. Or malicious talk and idle gossip. Being mindful of words and refraining from pointless babble. I <laughs> that hit somebody's home. <laughs> A description of right speech from the Buddha. He rejoices in peace and such words as are gentle, pleasant to hear, kind, heart stirring, polite. At the proper time will be spoken, words that are worth remembering, well grounded, purposeful and helpful. Also under ethical conduct are skillful or wise actions, referring to bodily action, leading a moral life, abstaining from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, and intoxication. Therefore, employing the investigation of the heart as a way to support leading a life free of harm for oneself or others. When our mind is settled, we connect with the heart. Then there's skillful or wise livelihood. Choosing an ethical profession and conducting oneself at work with honesty and integrity. Even when the work environment may be off. You know, then there might be some other considerations, like I need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) But in the meantime, (laughs) honesty and integrity. (laughs) Then there are the concentration aspects to the Eightfold Path. Skillful or wise effort. Be unrelenting and vigilant in preventing and overcoming unskillful and negative mind states and cultivating and maintaining positive states of mind. Effort being used to prevent the mind from being overwhelmed by ignorance, to cut away or ease out wrong views and habits, to dig the soil for cultivation of what is good. Then there's energy, using our energy carefully for wise effort, using more energy to practice with kindness and patience, 
understanding that the balance of energy imparts the capacity for sustainability. What am I carrying? What can I put down? Then there's skillful or wise mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness meditation every day and cultivating mindfulness as an approach to everyday living. Mindfulness naturally supports wisdom. Not just generalized mindfulness, so that's good, you know, especially now and these days in our culture, mindfulness is a really big thing. Like a lot of people um, in a lot of places and environments are engaged with this mindfulness practice. But there's a deeper cut that comes um, from engaging mindfulness practice by not just sitting, you're going to hear over the course of the week other ways to cultivate continuity of mindfulness, but it takes a little work. It's not like just hand it to you, right? Take some work. The Four Noble Truths are a lifetime's reflection. It is not just to gain understanding and wisdom by realizing the insight of the Four Noble Truths, the three aspects and the 12 stages, and then going on to more advanced techniques, complicated theories, and ideas. The whole road to freedom is lit by the luminosity of the simplicity yet wisdom of the Four Noble Truths. By studying, understanding, practicing, and cultivating this path and the Four Noble Truths, a natural arising of an integrated life unfolds, grounded in a clear, and luminous mind and a strong, graceful, compassionate heart. I receive all of life with thanksgiving. I have gratitude for everything that has ever occurred to bring me to this moment. I give thanks for the joys and the suffering, the moments of peace and the flashes of anger, the compassion and the indifference the roar of my courage and the cold sweat of my fear. I accept gratefully the entirety of my past and my present life. Jonathan Lockwood Huey. I thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment. May we find stillness in the midst of change. May we find peace in the midst of struggle. May we find softness in the midst of resistance. May we rest in compassion.
So I think you all have the routine now. If there's energy and uh, a pull, you know, you can go have a walking period now and come back at 9 o'clock for some sitting and chanting. And chanting. Um, and just to say, at any time throughout the night, remember the hall is always open. So if the eyes pop open at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're wondering what to do, might find your way here. Have a restful evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.